Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I continue, I just want to mention that you can support us through Patreon by going to patreon.com slash CanadaX, that's E-H-X. We have several tiers for you to choose from, from $3 to $100, and every dollar helps keep this podcast going. When people think of the Ku Klux Klan, it's natural to see it as an organization of the past, despite still existing and most present in the American South. Interestingly enough, Canada had its own chapter of the KKK, and for a time, at least in Saskatchewan, it was a political force to be reckoned with. In this episode, I will look at the history of the KKK in Saskatchewan. I will also talk to Bill Weiser, Distinguished Professor Emeritus of History at the University of Saskatchewan. In the United States, the KKK existed from the end of the Civil War until 1872 when the Ku Klux Klan Act resulted in the termination of the organization. Things were quiet on the KKK front until a film called The Birth of a Nation was released by D.W. Griffith in 1915. The film, which honestly is a masterpiece of filmmaking due to the many innovations it created, is also a pile of racist propaganda that used historical revisionism to portray the KKK as heroes against what they saw as the Black Menace. The day after Thanksgiving in 1915, William Joseph Simmons, inspired by the film, recruited 15 of his friends to establish the second Ku Klux Klan on Stone Mountain in Georgia. A decade later, in 1925, the Ku Klux Klan would arrive in Canada after C. Lewis Fowler of New York City, John Hawkins of Virginia, and Richard Cohen of Toronto signed an agreement to establish the Ku Klux Klan of Canada. Chapters began to spring up throughout Canada, but this version of the Ku Klux Klan was very different from those seen in the United States. The organization made efforts to distinguish itself from the American organization. John Hawkins stated in a rally in London, Ontario, that the American Ku Klux Klan was not lawless, and that it abided by the laws of the nation, but that it would work to change those laws that it did not support. Bill Weiser speaks regarding the arrival of the Klan in Canada. Uh, the Canadian KKK was quite different from the American one. It uh, reinvented itself in the 1920s and came to the province in 1926. Memberships were uh, $13 to become a member of the KKK, and they had no shortage uh, signing up recruits. The Klan robes used in Canada also featured a maple leaf on them to distinguish from the Americans. The organization in Canada also had a more narrow focus than the United States organization. With its main focus to preserve the Britishness of Canada with respect to ethnicity. Rather than focus on blacks, the organization railed against the immigration of what it saw as Eastern Europeans flooding into Canada at the time. That is not to say that the Canadian organization wasn't violent. Property damage was a common tactic of the KKK in Canada, which included the apparent raising of the St. Boniface College in Winnipeg, which resulted in 10 deaths, the total destruction of the building, and the loss of its libraries and all the records inside. In 1926, dynamite was detonated at St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church in Barrie, Ontario. The man who placed the dynamite in the furnace room was caught and said he was ordered to conduct the terrorism by the KKK. From this point on, with religious leaders and politicians speaking out against the Klan, membership began to decline. 
It was at this time that things began to move farther west. The Ku Klux Klan of Canada, and that's with a K, was another group in the country. Their principles were white supremacy that required members to pledge that they were white, Gentile, and Protestant. The organizers of what I would call a side chapter required everyone to pledge allegiance to Canada and the Union Jack, and did not allow Jewish people to be members. Roman Catholics could not be members either, as their first allegiance was to the Pope. So, through the years, the KKK would move across the West, and eventually reach Saskatchewan. In 1926, KKK organizers Hugh Emmons and Lewis Scott from Indiana established a chapter in Saskatchewan. They then spent most of 1927 traveling around establishing branches in the province, charging $13 per individual. They also spread their propaganda and burned crosses in the province. They then took all the money they raised and left the province with it. The amount totaled $100,000 or $1.4 million in today's funds. If we take how much each person paid based on how much was stolen, that means roughly 7,600 people signed up on this initial run. Enter in James Maloney, who worked with John Hawkins to revive the organization in the province. Under his leadership, the organization raised over $50,000 in member fees, and they claimed to have 70,000 members, but it was probably closer to 25,000 to 40,000. One of the reasons for this success is believed to be the opposition to the Liberal Provincial Government and its efforts to bring in new immigration to the province. Many of the supporters of the KKK were Conservative Party Saskatchewan supporters who were unhappy with the Liberals and their support of Catholics. The Klan in Saskatchewan was anti-Catholic and anti-French. They campaigned against the separate school system using the slogan, One Nation, One Flag, One Language, One School. They opposed crucifixes on public school walls and nuns teaching and teaching of any kind of French. They also blamed Saskatchewan's issues on Quebec. Bill Weiser speaks on the views of the Klan on immigrants and their spread into Saskatchewan. It's, it's, right, it's not the tr traditional KKK. The KKK in Saskatchewan uh, zeroed in on continental European immigrants. So in other words, uh, immigrants that came to the province from uh, Central Europe, uh, they dressed differently, they spoke differently, they worshipped differently, they even cooked differently. By God, they used garlic. <laughs> and uh, Saskatchewan was supposed to be an Anglo-Canadian stronghold. And uh, there was a great fear that uh, these immigrants were diluting that Anglo-Canadian fabric. Yes, they came in uh, increasing numbers, but the Anglo-Canadian majority still dominated. But... Uh, to use a line from uh, Jewish immigrants to Canada, one is too many, and that was the re-attitude in Saskatchewan. They didn't want these continental European immigrants here. They couldn't assimilate, and uh, they were worried about the province's future. That's one thing the KKK did was tap into that. The other was that it was very anti-Catholic, and uh, it, uh, it made anti-Catholicism one of the main tenets of the KKK message here. And in Saskatchewan, as I said, it's a Protestant stronghold. They were suspicious of Roman Catholics. They felt that Catholics didn't owe their allegiance to the country, but to the Pope. In fact, they were worried that the federal government was trying to create a second Quebec in Western Canada. And so when they spewed their anti-Catholicism, it also found a, a welcome home in Saskatchewan. At the Klan's first rally in Saskatchewan in Moose Jaw, 7,000 people attended. In Melfort, 
A crowd of 5,000 to 10,000 gathered to sing the Maple Leaf Forever and onward Christian soldiers as two 20-foot crosses burned. In Indian Head, the Ku Klux Klan chapter was established in 1928 and it held its meetings every first and third Wednesday of each month. That same year, the ladies of the Benevolent Order of the KKK also established in the town and held their first drive-in dance at the Orange Hall. As the Indian Head News reported on November 1, 1928, the affair patriotically decorated and illuminated by the uplifted fiery cross under which the doxology was sung was attended by many citizens of the town and district. So why was the Klan so popular in Saskatchewan? Let's go back to Bill Weiser. No, well, Saskatchewan was the most ethnically diverse province at the time. Uh, it's hard to think of Saskatchewan as a destination for people today, okay? They go to the large cities, but uh, Saskatchewan had good farmland, lots of it, and uh, Saskatchewan was the fastest growing province in Canada in the early 20th century. You've got tens of thousands of people coming to the province. And uh, the Canadian government is not only advertising in Great Britain, but also the United States and continental Europe. And so these people came and they were seen as a threat from day one, from their arrival. They weren't, they, they were, they were called newcomers at the best of times, but uh, they, they were regarded as foreigners. Uh, and they uh, they felt that uh, they would fit in. Saskatchewan's model today is from many people's strength, and that model wasn't adopted until the 1970s. About a century ago, uh, Saskatchewan actively resisted diversity. It would drag the province down. And the KKK came into Saskatchewan and took advantage of the situation. They didn't create the situation. They took advantage of it. In fact, one clan leader said of Saskatchewan, we, we fed them all kinds of antiques and they ate it all up. It should be pointed out that not everyone who attended these rallies were in agreement with the KKK, and many were there because they were paid to or lied about what it was. John Stewart of Nipawin was standing on a street corner when he was approached by a man who said he would see that John got a job. He then gave him $5 to attend a meeting in Moose Jaw that evening. Stewart did, and in his son's words, it didn't take long to realize that this was a meeting of the Ku Klux Klan. He said he got out of there as fast as he could and never stopped running until he reached Weyburn. On January 10, 1929, Reverend S.P. Rondu spoke at a Klan meeting at the Regent Hall in Saskatoon, stating that Quebec was trying to turn Saskatchewan into a second French-speaking province. The Klan would also play a major role in the 1929 Saskatchewan general election which would result in the Liberals, under James Garfield Gardner, the fourth Premier of Saskatchewan, falling to the Conservatives who created a coalition government after a vote of non-confidence. The Conservatives were led by James Thomas Milton Anderson, who was accused of working closely with the Ku Klux Klan. Pat Emmons, who was a defector from the Klan and had been a senior member, stated that Anderson met often with Klan officials and that the Liberal Party accused the Conservatives of being a front for the Klan. Anderson denied the allegations, but it should be pointed out that when he came to power, he took the Minister of Education portfolio along with the Premiership and proposed amendments to the School Act to ban teaching French in schools, ban religious symbols in schools including in Catholic separate schools, and the new government also terminated the recognition of teaching certificates granted by Quebec, which halted the recruitment of teachers from that province. 
The Klan also went to several election rallies for James Garfield and burned crosses. The provincial treasurer for the Klan in Saskatchewan was Walter Davy Cohen, who would go on to become the Conservative Member of Parliament for Long Lake from 1930 to 1935. One person accused of being a supporter of the Klan was a young Saskatchewan Conservative member named John Diefenbaker, future Prime Minister of Canada. Now, it's not said whether he actually supported the Klan or not, but considering he was seen as progressive and he would give the Indigenous the right to vote, it's highly unlikely he was a member of the Klan or supported them in any way. One man who was not identified but joined the clan out of curiosity in Weyburn stated that, in his words, these were a bunch of sharpies who figured out Saskatchewan would be a good place to make a few fast bucks. Like in other places, the clan wasn't above some violence and intimidation to get their message across. The Roman Catholic shrine at Lebrere, Saskatchewan, was destroyed by fire and an attempt was made to burn down the legislature in Regina. While there is no proof that it was the clan, both actions were attributed to them. Primarily, the Klan found its most success in southern Saskatchewan, but chapters were found across the province in every major community. Firmly entrenched in Saskatchewan now, Klan supporters like T.J. Hine, the reverend of the First Baptist Church in Moose Jaw, stated that the Klan was there for the protection of the physical purity of current and future generations. The Klan also began to put out false information, including stating that 8,000 immigrants had come to Regina, but only seven of those immigrants were Protestants. They also want to implement a 100% Canadian policy to deter the declining influence of Protestant Canadians because of immigration from Eastern Europe. Hawkins would say at one meeting in Regina on February 28, 1928, that the Jew is granted greater privileges in Canada than in any other country in the world. He would also add, prior to 1920, Canada was in every sense of the word a British dominion. Today, less than 47% of the people living in Canada are of British descent. The balance of power has passed out of our hands completely. It should be noted that in the 1921 census, Saskatchewan only had 147,000 Catholics out of a population of 758,000, so not exactly taking over. In another case, in October of 1927, at a Klan meeting at the Regina City Hall, Maloney stated that he received a letter from the President of Mexico in which it was stated that Mexico had an illiteracy rate of 80% because of the control of the Catholic Church over the education system over the past 400 years. Now, I don't want to make it seem as though Saskatchewan was totally on board with the KKK. In fact, there was a great deal of vocal opposition to the organization. In Bigger, the Bigger United Church would suffer a schism because of the KKK. From 1927 to 1929, Reverend Rams was leading the congregation, but he was also a follower of the KKK. This brought about a division that led the Presbyterians to form their own congregation at a new church in the community, rather than be part of this church anymore. In Keeler, Duncan Keeler, whose family helped found the community, relates about a time that the Ku Klux Klan came to the community. In his story, someone else opposed the KKK when many others did not. He says... We as kids were not allowed in. The windows were covered with tar paper, but we could peek in and hear a lot. They talked a long time, then asked that anyone who did not agree with what they said should stand up. We had a little United Church minister by the name of McVicker. He did not talk very loud, but was the only one to stand up. He said in no uncertain terms that he did not agree with anything they said. He was asked to leave. So he picked up his coat and left from the front of the hall where he had been sitting. 
I always found very kind thoughts about this man. In Broderick, William Trevelyan said, I remember the fear when we first saw those fiery crosses burning in the night. One even burned on the western outskirts of Broderick. In Ceylon, the KKK came to the community in 1929 looking to hold a rally, but the government of the community refused to allow the organization to use any of their lodges. The high times of the organization would not last, though. With the Great Depression, people were more concerned with finding enough to eat and making money to feed their families and house them. Suddenly, the worries of the clan faded away. Within a few years, the organization began to decline in Saskatchewan, and before long, it was gone. Bill Weiser elaborates on the downfall of the clan. Uh, their downfall was essentially the Depression. Uh, come 1930, everybody suffers. Everybody's in the same boat. And so the KKK, when it comes to Saskatchewan, has that uh, great following 1927, 1928. People from uh, all walks of life, from all political parties in the province join in. There's a bit of a backlash against them. The 1929 election led by Jimmy Gardner and his Liberal Party. But come 1930, uh, when the uh, Conservative Party takes over, also playing on this anti-immigrant rhetoric, uh, the Depression comes along and they can't do much along the lines of uh, cultural engineering, which they wanted to do. They're basically trying to survive, get the wheat economy back on its feet, and the KKK dissipates. Now looking at today, we can see several parallels between what you see shared on Facebook and Twitter and the message of the Klan in the 1920s, especially when it relates to immigration. Bill Weiser elaborates. Uh, there, there are parallels because the same things they're saying about immigrants today were the same things they said about immigrants a century ago. You know, they, they, they won't fit in. And how are they going to fit in? Uh, they worship differently. They dress differently. You know, they're saying the same things today as they said a century ago. And Saskatchewan learned from that. Uh, and in fact, uh, I wish other parts of the country would look to Saskatchewan and, and look at our experience through the first third of the 20th century and uh, what this province went, went through and how it adjusted. Uh, look at it today. Uh, Saskatchewan... Uh, gave you or gave the Canada the first governor general of non-English or non-French descent, Ray Natitian. I won't ask you to spell his last name. Uh, we've got Roy Romano, uh, a premier of Saskatchewan. That would have been unthinkable in the early 20th century that a Ukrainian immigrant kid could become premier of this province. So we've come a long way, but we still got a long way to go. And I think people need to realize that this uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric that we're hearing today is nothing new. And uh, we need to embrace these newcomers. Like a century ago, people came to Saskatchewan for a better life, if not for themselves and their children's children. And that's no different today. We're all in it together. I'd like to thank Bill Weiser for adding his knowledge of the KKK in Saskatchewan. And he also has a book coming out. Oh, a new book is coming out in two months. Um, uh, is called In Search of Almighty Voice. That's my new book. Information comes from Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, the Winnipeg Free Press, the Regina Leader Post, Early History of Saskatchewan Churches, Builders of a Great Land, Bridging the Years, Milestones and Memories, Blacks in Deep Snow, and the History of Indian Head and District. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can also reach me at CanadianHistoryX, that's E-H-X, at gmail.com. Thanks, 
and we'll see you again next time.